some hieroglyphics. All right, here we go. We're recording. So, yeah. okay. Stuart, welcome uh, this morning. Uh, great to have you here. Doc, nice to see you again. We're, uh, we're enjoying being back in the, in the studio and having a bit of real-time uh, face-to-face. Yeah, absolutely, Gordon. Thanks. Uh, you know, it is nice to try to get to, you know, some sort of, as you say, physical face-to-face uh, in, in the real world. So, and Stuart, thanks very much for your time. You know, I always appreciate, uh, you know, great guests on the, on the show. And, uh, and I'm sure today will be very enlightening and, and very insightful. So thanks very much. Yeah, we have with us, uh, for those of you who don't know him, because uh, he's normally dressed in a three-piece suit with a tie. He's quite distressed <laughs> that we've caught him in his, in his lockdown T-shirt. I think you look quite fetching in that. I mean, you've got a, there's something robust and creative about <laughs> you. But Stuart Lowe, who's a director of Wi-Fi Insights, but uh, been part of the media scene in other iterations for many years. You were uh, the publisher of Car Magazine, MD of Ramsey Media. And we're talking brand map today, but It'd be interesting to go back perhaps and talk about how brand map came about as an online survey, how you realized at Ramsey media slash car magazine that you were sitting on this gold mine of, of, of information uh, in terms of a, of an online panel and how you evolved from that. Because uh, this recent uh, time has seen the demise of two magazine publishing groups. So, I mean, I think, you know, there's a story in that as well. But tell us a bit about how Brandmap got off the ground, how you, you, you looked at the asset you had at, at Ramsey and decided to do something with it. And that's, what's, that's 2008, I think, a long time ago. Yeah, that's right. Morning, Doug. Hello, Gordon. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be with you guys. I'm jealous of you not doing your social distancing there. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in the Wi-Fi office with nobody else here. Um, yeah, I think... Going back to the origins of, I think it was more of a frustration than an opportunity. We had massive frustrations in that we had premium products, you know, we had a golf magazine, a technology magazine, a car magazine, a travel magazine, and various expressions of those, you know, uh, expositions, uh, exhibitions, and uh, magazines, digital platforms, uh, book publishing, et cetera, et cetera, all aimed at wealthy people. And the landscape study of the time, obviously, AMS was alive and well and much celebrated as it should have been for what it did. But it simply didn't provide any joy for us in trying to understand, reach and connect uh, with wealthier people. So we had these databases and we said, well, what would happen if we started um, mailing people and asking their opinions? Um, And that is eight years ago. Today, we're sitting on a database of a couple of hundred thousand opt-in wealthy South Africans. Um, And we have evolved BrandMap, which is uh, a unique landscape study of adults living in households of 10,000 rand a month or more. So the middle class and the top end, um, the economic powerhouse of South Africa. So, um, and that has really guided everything. You know, it guided the digital strategies back in the day on, on Ramsey Media. I then, um, uh, you know, it's a really poignant time with so many titles going out of business at the time and it were right now and, and the, the, the mad rush to try and find revenues in digital while the print digital uh, revenues were, were declining so dramatically. Um, and... The truth is, with COVID-19, uh, the, the, the writing was already on the wall, and it's just tipped them over the edge. 
to the point that there's just not sufficient revenue coming from the dig digital streams. Um, but the, the blend of offering and how to understand these wealthy customers was, um, was what BrandMap uh, was the original mandate of BrandMap. Um, and we have been uh, mailing, this year we mailed about 1.2 million wealthy South Africans. We put a lot of effort into finding the right databases and finding educated, wealthy people. Um, and the universe of those people, crucially, is um, the just about 12 million people that live in households of more than 10,000 rand a month. Um, and that is the point of difference with brand maps. So, you know, we're living in a country where the top 30% of the country is responsible for about 80% of all consumer spend. Um, and the legacy of landscape research in this country is that there's been massive emphasis on the bottom 70%. You know, the 30 million people that are earning below 10,000 rand a month. And that's the origins of landscape studies. Of like Unilever put a lot of effort into that area of the market. The origins of AMPs. Um, I know you're a big LSM punter, um, but you know that also adds to the illusion that these landscape studies are servicing insights at the top of the market, which they just aren't. So you know, using face-to-face -face methodology which essentially is built to understand the bottom of the market, does nothing for people trying to understand premium markets. And that's what BrandMap's mandate really is, Gordon. Just want to correct you on the LSM uh, pundit. I'm certainly not an LSM. I have switched uh, yeah. to the SEM uh, modality, yeah, yeah. and that in turn is going to reinvent itself. But it, you, you don't want to digress. But yes, I mean, whether they were LSMs are now revised to SEM, um, they were designed to serve a, a big sort of macro perspective, but did nothing at the at the top end of the pyramid, which is where you oh. sit. And I think your 12 million is something like 29% of population, that, as you mentioned, but it's, it's the value of that subset. I think they represent something like 51 or 52% of the total value of the market, which is where the real, the real magic is. Uh, and Doc, I know you, I mean, you've, you've, had exposure and a knowledge in the top end sector. I mean, but interestingly enough, as we chatted about this, you weren't really aware of brand map, no. which is kind of poses no. the question, no. how come? I guess that is, that is the issue. And I mean, we worked, you know, Gordon with big budgets uh, and, and big media houses, you know, so, so you asked you just in terms of, you know, for people out there who want to access it, the brand manager, the, the CMO, how do people get hold of it short of going on your webpage? I mean, where else are you promoting it? Is it being promoted through, through the big media houses? Because, I mean, certainly as a client, what I would do is rely heavily on the creative guys for the creative stuff and the media guys for, for the media insights. And then periodically, you know, we would deal directly with research and insights type, type of companies. But, I mean, it was a collective. You know, I tended not to, uh, you know, want to do something without the other parties being involved, being media and, and the creative house. Yeah. It, I, I think, um, you know, we've got to take our own medicine and it, maybe we haven't done as, we clearly haven't done as good a job of marketing brand map as we should have if you don't, if you don't know uh, brand map, Doug. But um, I, I think part of the flaw is that we are very aware that, um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly, as much as it, the product is useful to everybody, the people that actually run data are the data analysts sitting in marketing departments of bigger companies. 
um, and we look after, and, and the route to them is clear because BrandMap is available on Telmar, which is a big chunk of those people, uh, 8020, soft copy, info tools, um, and every... Which is the Nielsen platform, just... Yeah, I'm sorry, and Nielsen, yeah. yeah. So those people are talking to their clients and saying, look, BrandMap is available. It's a subscription product, which makes it different, obviously, to a lot of the other landscape products where the industry has access to the data for free. You have to pay for brand map. You pay 153,000 Rand a year for brand map. Um, and so the people that are going to be paying for access and get our support and get insights for the year are a finite group of people where we feel like we are talking to uh, the, the data analysts, the marketing services individuals, the brand managers, and the marketing managers, but obviously not true because. Because Doug, you didn't know you didn't know I, about brand. I could be the exception, Gordon. You no, know, no, no. I mean, I, and I'm not saying. You know, I just it's more out of curiosity. Yeah. Saying, saying, you know, how does one heighten this? How do you get more people involved? Because you know, I mean, I guess in today's world, you know, that this brand spray approach is long gone, and, and you know, we don't need yeah. today's crisis to tell us that this has been coming for a while. The more accurate yeah. the data is, the better it's presented. And I've often found that sometimes it's the presentation of the data. Me, I have to buy into not just the source of the data, the presenter of the data, the authenticity yeah. of the data, and then do something with it. You know, it's almost like collecting, um, you know, research papers, but you don't actually work through the thing. Mm. You just feel better because you have it but you don't actually yeah. use the data. So, yeah. you know, and I'm saying, Gordon, maybe I, you know, maybe I'm the exception, but if there are other people out there who find themselves in a similar position, well, then I'll urge them, you know, to, you know, obviously get a hold of you guys, Stuart, and, and, uh, and, and be part of the conversation. Yeah, look, I think, I think there's a bit of a perfect storm in the sense that um, agencies in the past have been guilty of, of, of expecting data for free. Mm. Uh, and client and and they've they've propagated that kind of mindset that you know data is for free. We pay for software, we pay for Nielsen, or we pay for Telmo, mm. or any one of the other software packages. Um, and and we also had some cushioning at the top end. Uh, and I, 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 you know, we do the cushioning with the inverted commas. So we had Saber for a couple of years, and 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 a lot of uh, agencies who were dealing with top end clients used the the South African Business Research Evaluation, which came out of TML and. Yeah. That's also defunct now. So we had a couple of fallback positions, but as you look at it now, and again, you know my stance, and Stuart, you know me well, I'm the data user. I'm really not a techie. But the moment I start tunneling in onto on even PAMS, which is the Publisher Research Council measure, which is supposed to cover magazines, or the establishment survey, if you get to the top end and you go to the 40,000 plus, which, which equates to your top end student brand, that the samples implode. There is nothing. So more and more, you have to be, I think, old and grumpy enough to go to clients and say, listen, I can't keep giving you insights, guys. You have to pay for stuff like this. And I know, Stuart, we had a couple of examples last year where we chipped and charged a few clients to get yeah. them to become aware of the need for this stuff. And, and the other thing, I think, is you've got to get, and agencies have got to get out of the media space. There's stuff in here which goes way beyond media. I mean, I blogged in it a week or two ago. I found one of the most interesting stats, Stuart, you might recall, because I know you're dedicated to my blog and you read it daily. And yeah, yeah. Oh. give a straight face, bro. Okay, so it was something like 1%. So there's a question there. What, is, what are you intending to do next year? change jobs, whatever the case may be. Well, I think 1% of people were intending to get divorced 
And I was just wondering yeah. whether post-COVID, <laughs> whether that stat might not be shifting. So it's mindset yeah, stuff. Yeah. Just unpack it a bit for us. It's not just media stuff. Yeah, I think I think that, that metric will probably go up post-COVID-19, I guess, <laughs> people in lockdown together. Yeah, I think the um, it is unique and in that it's a landscape study that we are really our attempt is to go from end to end to. So who are these wealthy people? Can we identify them demographically? Where do they sit? What do they earn? Um, big psychographic battery of questions. So what's in your mind? What are your intentions? What are your hopes? What are your fears? What are your interests? What are your pastimes? Uh, what causes do you support? What is your shopper graphic profile? What is your response to loyalty, loyalty constructs? These are all um, uh, surprising measures that sit off to the side, you know, because then we go into the brand details. So we'll say if we're in automotive space, we'll peg you as an Audi driver and we'll have a massive sample of Audi drivers. I guess it would probably be about four and a half thousand. You know, if you go into another landscape study, you're going to have, a fraction of that, which is immediately um, hamstrings you in terms of being able to slice and dice into different segments and, and stuff like that. So, but once you've got the brand picture and we can peg you as an F&B customer or an Audi driver um, or a spur restaurant customer, et cetera, et cetera, we can uh, define not only who you are and how you think, but what other lifestyle and psychographic um, actions and brands you're consuming. So ours is a profiling tool. So we can describe groups of people um, across 277 different measures um, that um, is essentially a roadmap um, of your customers versus your competitors' customers uh, for agencies and marketers. That's the offering. Just, just to contextualize that four and a half thousand, I mean, I was, just happened to be working in one of the other uh, primary industry databases on top-end motor vehicles, and the equivalent sample there you're talking about, I'm not even sure it got to double digits. It's, it's, it was kind of less than 20. I think they're very, they're very small, so that, that is significant. But one of the early barriers, I think, to entry was the sort of perception that if it wasn't face-to-face -face interviewing, it wasn't genuine research. Have you detected a shift? I mean, are we more aware? And even before COVID and lockdown, has there been a growing acceptance of online research as a legitimate form uh, of research, particularly when it's directed at the top end? Because you can't gain access. We know that from establishment survey and from PAMS, gaining access to gated communities at the top end is impossible. And the sample just yeah. collapses as a consequence. Yeah. And, and, and now it's completely pronounced because you can't even get in front of somebody to do a face-to-face -face interview. So that, you know, all the guys that are trying to do their landscape field work now are all in hiatus, including the, the census work. The census work was budgeted to happen this year. Um, and it obviously can't happen. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the foundation that all landscape studies work on. It's like, what does the population of South Africa look like? Um, but I, I think to answer your question, you have to go back 10 years to when we still, we started doing online research and were you know, kind of chastised by the establishment. You know, that's not proper research. And the irony now is, you know, the old model is working um, and everybody's rushing to online to build panels and to, to do big, big online pieces of work. Um, and, you know, the other thing that's pulling that along is big data because, 
you know, essentially transactional data plus opinion-based data from the research fraternity plus media and social media data inputs is essentially the holy grail of predicting behavior. And that's where the future of market research is going to go. And it leaves the face-to-face -face methodology way behind. You know, it's incredibly restricted. But I think that's not really the point. The point is that face-to-face -face is the only way, arguably, to get the opinions of poorer people. Um, and um, so, you know, the 70% that sits um, below that 10,000 rand a month, there are very few ways to get their opinions. I think, I think telephone um, research is going to be on the increase, but not to the same extent as online. But a lot of those people are not online, and the only way to get their opinion is face-to-face. -face. And that's a vital role, and that must, must continue. But given that 80% of all spend sits in the top 30% of South African adults, it's by far more interesting to find out what those people's views and opinions are, and that you can't do face-to-face. -face. We've proved that progressively over the last five years. You cannot get on the other side of the electric fence to spend time with these people, even before COVID-19. So online methodology was the only way. Um, and it has its flaws because, you know, the, the landscape establishment will talk about um, a national random um, sample uh, quotas, etc. And that is a crucial element of a measurement tool. Um, and I think we just have to be clear on, you know, the, 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 the rams and the pams and the, uh, the old amps and the new maps, if it ever arrives, are all, um, they have a mandate to measure the number of people that consume and behave in certain ways. We are not constrained, we're not a measurement tool, we're a profiling tool. So I'll define a cohort of people and we'll be able to tell you 300 things about them. Um, and it's a very different mandate. So... You know, we are focused at the top. We, are, we have massive samples where we can drill down into behaviors of wealthy people on a branded basis, and we'll tell you how to reach them. Our job is not to tell you exactly how many people that represents in terms of the South African population, although after eight years, I can tell you those data points are pretty robust and reliable as well. Have there been case studies here, Doc? We, we spoke last week about um, hybrid solutions where, you know, you have research data linked to customer internal data. I mean, have you had anything like that, Stuart? Are there, are there opportunities for, for customers to reverse engineer their own data into the set and create specific uh, learnings from that? Yeah, I think that's the other, you know, the, the fusion is another term, you know, coming out of all uh, uh, research data. But fusion also, if you go back a couple of years, fusion was also a dirty word, you know, the idea of blending one database into the other. And now it's, you know, it's certainly with, with the bigger companies, the ideas of fusing your transactional data with your research data, with some of your media and web data points is going to be the modus operandi. That is, that is the ultimate consumer surveillance methodology, you know, and that's where everything is going. So, yeah. And, and we're able to do that, you know, you, you misunderstood because one of the benefits of online methodology is every single click on our survey um, gives rise to a web data point. So we have about five and a half million web data points. So you can imagine without using personal data at all, I can define groups of people based on various attributes 
and says, show me the digital lookalike in the web world, which completely informs a, a programmatic marketing um, uh, modus operandi. I think it's a great point, Jenna. I think, Gordon, just going back a few weeks, and, and I think we've had one or two episodes around upskilling and reskilling and, and, and being sharper and using science and all of that stuff around the field of marketing and media. And I think, Stuart, what you're saying now is to overlay that data. I mean, I go back 10, 15 years ago, you know, we, the, the, the job data scientist didn't even exist in that term. It was just maybe an analyst and, and you so reliant as a client on external parties. And it's encouraging now to hear that those layers are coming in, that the, the client themselves is maturing in a, in a scientific way um, and and the upskilling, reskilling, uh, etc. You know that that one can put all that stuff together and hopefully come back, come out of it with a more robust and more informed decision, whatever that decision may be, as opposed to you know a gut feel. Uh, it seemed like a good idea, uh, etc. When things were perhaps easier, uh, easier to yeah, you know, Doug. You know, you say that, and yeah, it is exciting at the top, and and and, and you know, some of our biggest we do incredibly well on financial services, and a lot of the big financial services companies are our clients and we see them doing that and they're calling for the big data so they can do exactly what you're talking about. Uh, but that's really the top of the pyramid. You know, it's like, and you know, I had, I had that uh, Chris Murdoch wrote that fairly inflammatory article two weeks ago about everybody else. And his sense is that there are billions being sent in, spent in the marketing industry without any empirical data points. So these guys are going on gut feel, they're going a bit of Google search, a bit of social media, and a bit of anecdotal research and spending 250 million rand of a brand's um, budget, you know, and all hanging on a big idea, which is great, but a lot of the thinking is often misguided in terms of how and who that's reaching. And so our call would be that there should be much greater uptake of usage of landscape studies like brand map. Because it's there and it's easy and it's accessible, I can give you a strategic roadmap for a brand in an hour and a half just by running the data out of, out of brand map right now. And we're doing it all the time um, for our existing clients. But we just see like we're going into boardrooms with a guy saying, we've been given the budget. Um, uh, this is the, the, the timeline. And, um, and what insights can you give me? We say, well, brand map is here and we can guide you through that entire process. Um, Here's the cost, and the guys are under so much pressure with their margins, they're not investing in the insights that guide the strategy, which is really peanuts of investment for massive strategic benefit. And, um, and they're not being forced to do that by either the client or the management of the agencies. Well, that's what I mean. I just, and that's, that's you know, earlier to my earlier point, in you're talking about 150,000 Rand investment in, in those. And I look at, you know, the last company I was at, I mean, that's like not even, that's like lunch money. That's nothing. You know, even it's not a surrounding error on your budget, you know. And, and when you're talking about a 250 million rand, 200, 100 million rand spend, I mean, it's the, the numbers don't even make sense. And, and so that's the disappointing part of the conversation. I was hoping not to hear that. I was hoping you're going to say lots more people are using it. And that's why I'm saying people mustn't fall into the trap of, of even buying a survey and not working through the data because that's also the temptation. You know, you feel better because you have it. But part of that is to, is to actually implement and work. So hopefully that does change. And Gordon, as we've always said, you know, we want to have a practical dialogue in, in this podcast. It's not about, you know, just having interesting guests like today yeah. and after 30 minutes, it's all, you know, good night. Um, it's about yeah. people getting involved and taking those lessons and saying, listen, be more responsible and then 
it's, if you don't, as a CMO, don't cry when you're not taken seriously at, at the boardroom table. Now, that's not a new discussion. That's been going on forever and a day about people yeah. spending contra return, don't really care. Yeah. It sort of seems good, at the, you know, and it just goes on and on. And hopefully now in 2020, 2021, you've got the modern age marketer who actually is, I don't want to say brighter, but certainly can apply themselves a bit more in terms of, of science and, and data. Yeah, look, I mean, this is where I've got to take one on the chin as, as being part of the media fraternity because we've been spoiled for the, you know, the vast majority of my sort of functional career uh, by what, we believed was single source data. It wasn't really, but I mean, AMPS kind of did everything. There are still people, and I'm talking top three media agencies, okay, that are using AMPS, even though it's AMPS 2015, was refreshed a wee bit for 2016. They are still using AMPS 2015. They're using five-year-old data because they're comfortable with it. And the problem in inverted commas depending on your perspective, is we're now in an environment where it's unrealistic to expect one survey to cover everything. You need to have a, a, a hodgepodge of mixes. I need to find insights from one place, one from the other, unless we, you know, we, we, we kind of infer that the only alternative to PAMs and RAMs and ES is brand map. There are other surveys out there that do things. But you've, yeah. the reality is you have got to assess your client's need at any point in time, and you've got to create a composite picture using multiple sources of data. That, that's the reality. We can't go back, and we're never going to go back, whether it's maps, whether it's PAMs, whether it's the establishment survey, which will have to go out to market again, and recreate amps. That's insane to think you can do that. You're going to have to create composite viewpoints. But Stuart, let me lob another question at you there as well. We chatted as well about whether you'd be doing a sort of a pre-COVID, post-COVID look at the market and you and do a before and after. And I think you had some interesting views on, on, on the, the value of doing an exercise of, like that or not. Yeah, we, we've got this little analogy. You know, it's, it's a bit like um, you know, doing, doing uh, during lockdown research, it's a bit like uh, walking up to your hospital bed where you've just come out of you know, your post-op. You know, you're, the, the drugs are still running through your brain. You've no idea what's going on. Everything's changed. And you've no idea how you're going to be. And uh, it's way too early to ask those questions. So is, we're quite intrigued by this, this flurry of like, so how are you feeling now in lockdown? And a week later, so, okay, so how are you feeling now in lockdown? You know? And so you go back and look at those insights uh, a couple of weeks ago that people went because online is obviously so fast. You get these crap big samples in a couple of days and, and ask all the right questions. But the truth is the, the answers to those questions are completely worthless three weeks later. So, um, so we're putting all of our effort into designing the optimum interrogation after we believe some kind of new normal is evident. Uh, you have to have some kind of idea of what your future looks like. There's a Chris Becker said that day before yesterday in a great article. He said, you know, if you think you're doing what's going on, you are a mampara. You know, you are simply guessing and you're going to look like a fool if you put your line in the sand because there's just too many variables that are unknown at this point in time. And sure, we can take a stab at social media is going to go up and print media is going to die and, you know, all these sort of broad-ranging strategies uh, or statements rather, but the truth is it has to be a sophisticated understanding of what was the past behavior, what is the past brand consumption, what exactly has changed and how does that inform sentiment, 
um, um, and, and therefore buying behavior going forward. And we don't believe that that can be done um, now, uh, certainly over the last couple of weeks. We, we, you know, we, we, we have some ideas about exactly when we're going to do that. Um, and we think that the value of brand map is that we're going we're to go back into field with the whole of brand map. So it'll be a, a longitudinal study from who you are to how we reach you through the media and every brand in between that gives you not only the response to COVID-19, but that reset, rethink moment of how people are changing their behavior. But then, so when you, when you got a 200 million rand budget and you're strategizing for the fourth quarter of this year, it's actually worthwhile because anything else is, is anecdotal, we think. Okay, well then just, you mentioned, you know, sort of some media types and let me maybe ask you to relive your former life. I mean, it, it's been a, a massive kind of uh, shock for everybody to see uh, groups like Caxton and Associated Media uh, hitting yeah. the wall. I mean, wearing your publisher hat, should we have seen this coming? Was it coming? You know, what's your view uh, as a former publisher of, of, of a top flight, you know, stable of titles of the way forward. Uh, is there anything at the top end of the market which would indicate where the magazines had more longevity, could have survived, should have survived? Is there a comeback route? Yeah, I think that the short answer is look to custom titles. Um, you know, and another thing struck me now just this week, you know, with, with the Caxton titles being closed down, I see look, it looks like some of them are maybe picked up and will we'll find life again. And the associated title is just so desperately sad to see how much work and effort has gone into that. But what struck me now is, you know, if you, if you follow the love upstream, there's the publishing teams, but then there's the, the printers and there's massive capital investment in these big, big print shops. Mm. And you just start chopping the big guys out of there. And what do the economies of scale look like in the print environment? And then you've got big printers going to the wall and just you know, they've got this capacity that it has to go into making cardboard boxes or uh, something other than magazines. And then as a result, you've got the supply and demand thing which is the cost of producing a magazine is going to be an exorbitant thing. So I think we're looking at small, curated, bespoke, high-end titles in the, in the consumer space. In other words, it's the kind of thing that you'll go and find and buy. And, and there'll be really small numbers. Um, and the only substantial numbers will be in the custom space. So the tastes and the fresh livings and the Fashini Group titles and the, you know, these are massive numbers. People are getting their reading fixed. They're reading almost as much as they ever were before. They're just not buying magazines. Um, so, you know, I think, and that and the combination of digital, um, you know, of understanding the relationship between print and digital is, is obviously crucial here. Doug, some comments? Yeah, no, just um, unfortunately, I think we're running a little tight yep. on time. But I mean, Stuart, yep. from my side, I just want to say thanks very much. You know, and again, I encourage as a, as a, a client uh, from my side is I encourage brand managers and CMOs and, and analysts and, and people there and across the board to actually get involved, to upskill themselves, to educate themselves and to make better decisions. Because, you know, you're dealing with shareholders' money. Money's always tight. It's not tighter now. It should have been tight all along. So that's in closing from my side. Thanks very much for your time. We always appreciate it. And I'm going to leave Gordon to, to close off the episode. No, just one last question before I go, Stuart, just thinking about it. I mean, there's a lot of evidence um, 
globally looking at all sorts of multiple you know kind of inputs to suggest that at the the top end of the even at the top end of the market high end purchases are are under threat that there's been a reevaluation of basics i mean is there anything you know i well, i guess it's something that'll probably come out of your next phase rather a review of high end purchasing but is the is, is that sector under siege um the high end uh Yeah. I, you know, there are two views. The one is that the top end is impenetrable, and you know, uh, as we quoted somebody saying in, in in a piece of research we did a while back, you know, it's nice to have a bit of a recession from time to time. You know, flush everything out of it. You know, um, so you know, these are guys that they're using debt as a tool um, to accumulate more wealth, and really, the fact that they've lost you know 100 million rand is really not going to change what car they buy next. You know. And, and that's a that, that that's a different world, and it's almost too small a world to inform uh, what you're talking about. I think the, 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 what we've got to remember is that before any of this drama, we were in a radical crisis of you know tipping into a recessionary downgrade economy. You know, the, we were already in a lot of trouble before this hit. You know? So I think you're going to your discussion span. It was like I had a chat with a, one of our clients on the automotive side. You know, we're going to see people dropping a third car, dropping the second car, dropping their car altogether, and Ubering or finding another way to move around. Don't move around. Stay at home. Don't go overseas. Go to a, a, a local destination. Where all of these things are going to be partly driven by having trying to have a more authentic, considered life. And very much driven by the fact that there just isn't enough money in the bank to indulge in premium products. Um, so where to find and how do you, uh, the people that are still buying them is uh, you know we're excited about BrandMap's role in in plotting that course and understanding understanding premium how the top 30% spend their their, their funds on the premium space. Stuart Loeb. Director Y5 Insights, Stuart, thanks for the time. Uh, to all the listeners out there, please, if you'd like to direct questions to us, um, get in touch with us on our various social media platforms. Please get in touch with Stuart if you want to find out more about BrandMap. But Stuart, thanks for the time. And we look forward to having you back on, maybe in the post-tranche inside. We can have a look you know, at some genuine shifts in, in attitudes. But thanks once again for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Doug. Ciao. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you. Take care.